Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Amazing Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Law, and with me as always, DJ Mark. What's up? Also joining me, the legend himself, Lavender Gooms. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Mark. Um, February 26th, leap year. Mm-hmm. How about that? Well, yeah, but February 26th comes every year, so that's not special. We're, we're getting there, though. You're alluding to the 29th, which is coming up, but the 26th is today. What do you got for us? That is true. That is true. Um, I thought those seemed like two more separate thoughts, but I can see how someone can okay, conflate okay. the two. Uh, but you are right. Today is February 26th, and as always... I wish you guys a happy National Set a Good Example Day. And just so you know, I am not just uh, the president. I am a client of these particular days. I bid you guys this. When your girlfriend is moving out completely from her place, you go help her, which is what I finished doing this past weekend. Uh, Cleaning out all the rest of her crap that was in her apartment. So there you go. That's all you got? No, no, no. I just thought you were going to say something to that, Bobby. Uh, but no, that was like very not. nice of you. I, I also talked to you the other day uh, when you were going to do some of it. I don't know if that is what it sounds like you had to come back and do the rest of it. Yeah, you know, uh, the other day that was to get some of the bigger stuff that necessitated a car. Um, but then as always, you know, you, when you're moving out of a place, you got to find all, all the little holes that you put into the wall and, you know, actually make the place look semi uh, presentable so that we could get some semblance of your security deposit back. So fingers crossed on March 1st, uh, she's able to get all of it back. Um, but in terms of our days, as always, a happy national set a good example day, a happy national tell a fairy tale day all right and this one is for you bobby a happy national pistachio day i know i saw that i was excited i I was i looked this up too now i'm not sure if you and i look at the same place because i always have one that you don't mention but i don't know if you're not exhausting all of your because you know what you never pick and choose yeah because the other one's trash um yeah who who gives a shit about old people but i guess for those of you who care happy national letter to an elder day i was gonna say i got no grandparents left man unless i'm gonna gonna write my dad a letter that's the elder i got at this point um yeah pistachios excellent gotta get that persian pistachios though man that's what my people do um all right boys and girls we're gonna talk about ufc in mexico city where you know, if you saw the fights, we talk about that. And hell, even if you were at the fights, you may not remember what happened because you got knocked the fuck out while wearing your white shirt. Because that, goddamn, that was excellent. 
That was <laughs> that was wonderful. Uh, we're gonna talk about that. The best part of the crowd brawl is when they asked Data White about it, and Data White's like, "Yeah, the weird thing is like the security didn't break it up. They just kind of let it play out." Which I agree with Data White. That was strange. And then the other thing he said though was like, "Yeah, people say it's a bad look for the UFC. It basically never happens." Let me tell you, been to a bunch of UFC fights in my day. Seen plenty of crowd fights. All right. Granted, been to plenty of football games. Seen plenty of crowd fights. Anything that's outdoors. (laughs) We also have to think about this. It could be that these people in the Mexico City crowd, they're just angry. They're anxious because if you guys heard the report the other day, Mexico City might be running out of water in about three to four months. I mean, that's rough. That's unfortunate. I mean, it sounds like they got plenty of modelos, though, based on how that crowd was doing. (laughs) All right. I mean, they were good to go. Um, so uh, UFC Mexico uh, City, a night where we learned, you know, the Mexicans may not win, but then they still kind of do because the Mexican-Americans win instead. Um, Brandon Moreno, Brandon Royval running back a fight from 2019, I think. Might be making up the year entirely there, but it's been a couple of years. Uh, see if I can figure this out. Um, 2020. Yeah, close. Um Went five rounds. Uh, real quick, Mike, I'm just starting to think the best bet in MMA is that a, fi- a flyweight main event going to decision is just the way to go. Any of these high-ranked guys, just we're going to go 25 minutes. Um, Royval and Moreno uh, went 25 minutes. Royval training out of Denver. Uh, altitude didn't seem to affect him. Moreno, I'm not sure he looked tired, but he definitely wasn't as active as Royval. Royval threw an absurd number of punches, just a wild-ass number of punches. Um, the fight was very close. Um, I honestly, when it was over, I was like, I don't know who won that. And I would think I was leaning towards Royval, but I didn't know. Mark, I don't know what you were thinking. Cut to you in a second here. But like, yeah, uh, he just kept touching him. Just kept touching him. 25 minutes of touching him. And Brandon going backwards a lot and not throwing enough, I felt. Because when he was throwing, he was being very effective with both leg kicks and um, the overhand Right was doing pretty well for him. Al and overhand left. Those are the three things he was throwing: leg kicks and overhands. Um, but Royval got it done, and then told the crowd, "Hey, man, don't be unhappy. I'm third generation Mexican." So, Mark, um, Mr. Raw Dog Royval, what did we think? Yeah, I mean, he he looked fairly impressive in this fight. Um, we all thought uh, Moreno was going to win this, and I think you know the logic kind of dictated that. He probably should or he would be favored to win because, you know, in their previous matchup, you know, he was able to finish the fight fairly, fairly quickly in the first round, I believe. Um, but yeah, Roy but Val- then we learned, remember, that was a, we, we, we didn't know. It, and then after the podcast, I'm like, oh, yeah, he got a dislocated shoulder. That's why Brandon won. <laughs> Moreno won. So. But, uh, you know, uh, it was really the output with Roy Val and, um, you know, Brandon Moreno just really. He kind of seemed like a one-trick pony in this fight. You know, like you mentioned, the leg kicks were working pretty good early on. um, But his big strikes that he was, you know, being fairly successful with but started to get counted off of was the overhand right hand. You know, he had a southpaw versus orthodox. So their uh, backhands, the the power punches were going to be the punches that were open. And for Roy Val, it was very interesting to see him utilize his jab and his lead hand so much. and in and later in the fight, he was doing a jab and then working into an uppercut or go hooks to the body off that lead hand, which is really weird because a lot of southpaw fighters fight orthodox fighters so frequently 
they usually get very accustomed um, throwing that lead left straight, which is the power punch, which is the punch that's most open. That's, you know, the orthodox fighter is most susceptible to. And Roy Val was very hesitant to let that punch go frequently. A lot of his work came from his uh, right lead hand using the jab a lot. Like I said, transitioning the jab to uppercut, transitioning the jab to a body hook, um, and then did really good work with his uh, left kick, left kicks to the body. And his left knee was really a deterring factor for Moreno ducking in for those overhand rights. You know, he started to time that a little bit and it definitely made Moreno be a little hesitant, just dropping down to throw those overhand rights. He really had to time them. He was usually trying to counter off of what um, uh, Royville was throwing. Um, But ultimately, you know, Royville was just the much more active fighter. And we saw that activity kind of, become more and more as the fight grew on, Um, you know, in the fourth and fifth rounds, he was, you know, implementing kind of the Diaz strategy where he would throw, you know, a combination of five to six punches and not with a lot of steam, but just with more, more variety and um, quickness just to kind of have Moreno think about stuff. So, you know, he's peppering him with all these little shots and Moreno is basically just has to guard up and then maybe throw, try to throw a big overhand, right in a counter there. And, you know, Roy Val just was kind of onto it. Wasn't getting caught super often with those. Um, and when he did get hit with them, you know, he wore the damage really well. He didn't get wobbled. He didn't get hurt. Yeah. Kid's um, got it was a, a very chin. close fight. Moreno throws yeah. hard. Moreno hits hard. Um, yeah. It wasn't the greatest performance from Moreno. I thought he's, here's like, I thought he's better than that performance. So they fight again. I don't know. I mean, it was still very close. And I think if you came up with the Moreno scorecard, I'm not going to say you were wrong necessarily, Mark, to be honest. Um, because at the end of it, I was just like, I don't know how, what, like what these guys are seeing necessarily. Um, looking at the fan split here, in terms of what people saw from the fight. Looks like media was about three to one in favor of Royval and the fan split. It looks like about 60, 40 in favor of Royval. So yeah, most people seem to think Royval got it done. Um, the fifth round was very close. Um, very, very close, but most a lot. It seems like the scorecards we're looking at. Uh, the fans seem to think the first two for Moreno, the next three for Royval. Uh, Mike, um, UFC went out there and fucked up UFC 301 by moving Alex Pereira and Jamal Hill to uh, UFC 300. But I'm sure they're thinking we got another Brazilian champion. You know, we have we have Alexandra Pantoja. Maybe uh, you know Brandon Moreno is going to go out there and take care of this uh, raw dog fella. And then Brandon Moreno is definitely a big enough star that we can main event with in Brazil. Well, that didn't happen. Um, what do you think, man? Are we going to main event with Raw Dog, Roy Vall, and Pantoja? Well, what's the, what do you think is the plan for 301 now? <laughs> well, here's what we have as the announced bouts for 301 so far. Kulkevich versus Eisman Lucindo, Paul Craig Boralo, Joaquin Silva, Jakar Close. Lasando Casa Borges, Jack Shore, Joanderson Brito. So anything. <laughs> is this the one that's anything is this the one that's better. gonna eat like the this run we're on of good pay-per-views? Is this the one that's gonna be the one where these poor people have to eat a mediocre? I mean, look, I like Alexander Pantosha. We all do actually. We all think he's a great fighter, but like, man, you're gonna main event with him versus Raw Dog over there? I'm gonna keep calling him Raw Dog. Because we <laughs> I enjoy that. Uh, I I think any of the fights that you mentioned would be a much bigger marquee than any of the ones that are listed right now for it. But 
ah, oh, Jesus, still pay what 70, 80 bucks for, for any of those fights as the as the main attraction fight, that's that's gonna be a little rough. And the way they're charging for ticket prices these days too, the UFC is just Wow. I mean, also, the the other thing that's a possibility, Mike, though, is I remember people were throwing it out there. What if, um, I think it's in, when is O'Malley and Vera? Is it in a week or two? Two weeks? It's in March, technically. Sometime in March, right? March 9th, maybe? I believe so. Yeah. Some, sometime okay. there. I don't know. The but they're date. saying that if they can get, if, if Jolton Almeida gets packed past Curtis Blades, which is a large ask, honestly, I think. Um, but if he does, then they can get Tom Aspinall to go to Brazil and defend his title against Jolton Almeida. I mean, that's a lot of things working out in everybody's favor, well, Mike. But I, 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 I'm getting the impression these guys like we've, uh, we've. This is a real robbed Peter. What is it? A robbed Peter to pay Paul situation, where right. they they must have really not wanted to put Leon Edwards and, and Bilal Muhammad in the main event, huh? They must have really not wanted the main event with Bilal Muhammad is what this feels like at 300. Like, I mean, it, it, it could also be just a matter of unlike, unlike what was it? South, was it Saudi Arabia that told the UFC, get the hell out of here with this bullshit card that was supposed to happen in March. Um, no offense to Brazil or Rio de Janeiro, but the UFC probably feels they could just get away with doing some bullshit like that. Um, for them, it's like, well, it's the UFC. They're going to be happy with whatever we send their way. Yeah, th this whole fight, this card, uh, they kept cutting the people in the crowd that I'm like, like Charles Oliveira, I'm like, well, he could main event that card. And then Alex, Alex Pereira, I'm like, he could main event that card. All right. Alex Pereira, though, still saying he's going to knock out Jamal Hill, then defend this title again in three weeks after that. So, cool. I guess, uh, guess we'll see what happens. Um, going to the co-main event. Um Brian Ortega, T-City himself, uh, hadn't fought in two years, uh, a little bit less than two years, maybe eh, 18 months-ish, since dislocating his shoulder, first time he tried to fight Yair Rodriguez. Um, man's been through a lot, apparently, had like back-to-back-to-back -back -back surgeries, um, was engaged, not engaged anymore, and then I think he got married to the mother of his children, which Mazel Tov to him. When it goes out there, almost uh, goes out there and rolls his ankle on the pre-fight introduction while he's jumping up and down Tito Ortiz style. Um, immediately gets fucking cracked. Mark, what did he get hit with? Do you remember? Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, yeah, you started doing that. Um, that kind of low push kick that. Mm. Uh, John Jones does the one that kind of like targets the knee. Mm. He, he did a couple of those, and then he came with. I think it was a left straight from southpaw. It was it was a straight punch, and it, it really cracked. Yeah, I thought we were about to go home. And Brian Ortega's got a notoriously like tough. Like his chin is mm -hmm. absurd. He's like his only TKO losses are like the shoulder injury to Ayer, and then against Max, he just got beaten into like beaten like bloody pulp. Like after four rounds, they just had stopped the fight because he was bleeding too much. Um. Survive that. I think Yair is going to kick himself for not being more aggressive during that time, Mark. Honestly, I mean, obviously, now he's probably kicking himself. I don't think he could be much more aggressive. I don't know. I thought like, they started clinching was... at one point. I thought he could have separated a little bit there. He 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 followed him to the ground, which I don't think was yeah. a super smart move. Um, but from there, he was still ground. I mean, that dude. I mean, if there's anything to take away, it's like he probably got a little too anxious. Huh. 
And, and rightfully so. You have a guy hurt like that. You want to close the show. You know, he's basically seeing all his dreams come to fruition. He was going to, you know, stop Brian Ortega in the first round and get a title shot. You know, and fucking and go, go like get a fucking like giant arena in Spain for the love of God. We'll get yeah, to that. I mean, how do you not go after that? But that's fair. Ultimately, like he shot his load. Like yeah. he on the stand up, he was trying to knock him because I think he knocked him down. Brian got back up. I think he he continued to like go after him, and I think Brian fell down again or mm. went back to the ground. And on the ground, he followed him there and was doing some pretty vicious ground and pound. But like you said, like Ortega's just so hard to get out there. Um, I think it would have behooved Rodriguez when he went back to the ground to kind of say, like, no, let's stand back up. I need to catch you not seeing what I'm throwing at you to really be able to hurt you. Um and you go for that. So. The um in the second round, uh, I think it's like about halfway through the second round, maybe a little bit after that, where Ortega got on top, got him down against the fence. Got uh, yeah, you're down against the fence. And I remember thinking like, okay, like I think Yair's a good enough grappler to maybe survive these next two minutes, right? Because Yair's a good grappler. We know Yair's a good grappler. But the whole time I'm listening to the announcers, Mike, and I feel like they were not in the. Uh, this is a bad situation. Like they weren't, they weren't enough uh, emphasizing enough how bad of a situation this was for Yair Rodriguez. That Brian Ortega's on top of his ass. Um, it's almost like we forgot this guy's name was T City, and like what he used to do before he became a striker. Like his fights used to be take you down, I'm choking you, we're going home. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no, correct. Uh, before, uh, mm. before he you know, improved on his, on his standup, you know, the thing that got him into the, into the ball game was his, was his jujitsu. Yeah. Um, it seems, uh, it seems like a lack of knowledge to not really highlight that. Yeah. That was disappointing to me. And then in the third round, when he got him against, he got him down, he landed basically in Mount in the third round, more or less. Right. Mark, basically he landed in Mount when he got him down. And then I was like, Oh, we're done. I'm like, there's no fucking chance. Like he's cooked. And then he was cooked like 30 seconds after that. I don't know. I mean, if, if, I'm Mark, I'm wondering if we're in the Brian Ortega's and his Damian Maya, you know, stage of his career, where Brian, when Damian Maya, after he fell in love with striking, decided I'm going to come back and just like, I'm taking people down and we're we're, we're going home. We're going home the yeah, way I, I mean, got here. <laughs> I think it was. I I think there was some poor fight IQ on Rodriguez's part because you know at the towards the end of the first round when he was on top of him, grounding and pounding him, he eventually. Actually, so kind of went for a leg lock at one point, and that's where Brian got his back, and then ended the round mm. on top. And that's kind of where the booth was like. This kind of gives Ortega a little bit of you know wind underneath his wings here. Like he had a rough round where he basically it would have probably been a ten eight round if he didn't hang in there and then get top position in the end of the round. And then then it's kind of like I can survive on the ground with this guy. Like even on bottom, I can find ways to maneuver on top. Um, round two and three were really interesting in that like. Rodriguez, I, I think the altitude and just the output of that first round really caught up with him because you could see in the beginning of the second round when they were getting in kind of boxing range, like he just didn't have that snap on the punches like he did in the first round. They were a little bit more labored, and Brian Ortega had a little bit more confidence saying like, hey, I can walk in the pocket with this guy. He's not throwing the kill shots he was in that first round. I can hang with this guy, slip a punch or two, get into clinch. And then from clinch, also be very success successful getting the takedowns and controlling the fight from there. So I think it really was like that first round. It's just kind of one of those double-edged swords. You know, we've seen a lot of fights throughout the years where someone gets cracked in the first round. That one guy smells blood in the water. He goes to the finish a little too hard. And, you know, especially when you have this X factor like the altitude in Mexico City and you're not training for that, 
you know, that second round comes along and you're so much more tired than you were before. And your, your offense just doesn't have the same snap to it. And his footwork wasn't there to get him away from the clinch to let Brian Ortega, you know, put the pressure on him and get the clinch against the takedown and you know, ult- uh, get the clinch against the cage and ultimately get the takedowns and, and rough him up that way. Yeah. And that second round when he got that, that trip leg takedown, and I think he was either, like you said, it was in half mount or full mount and he was transitioning. He was already looking for that head and arm choke. And, you know, once, once he had the position, like, a dude like Brian Ortega knows how to snatch that up and it's, it's curtains, right? Like that guy's squeeze is just incredible. He's constantly looking for the finish and, you know, he has that ability even when he's super hurt. Cause we've seen many occasions with this particular fighter when it looks like he's been getting completely dominated, just getting, you know, beat up. He can pull out that submission at the last round that, that, that squeeze never leaves that guy's ability, right? He always has that ability. If he can snatch onto a submission to, to end the fight at any moment, and at this point, you know, he's he's skating on ice. Like, he's just – he's tearing through Rodriguez's offense. He's getting into all the positions that he needs. He finds that that head and arm choke instantly, snatches it up. And, you know, like they were saying in the booth, the head and arm choke, there's a couple different ways to defend it. You can answer the phone. You can try to make some leverage by, you know, putting your legs uh, – putting your arm between your legs and trying to, you know, break some leverage that way. But with a guy like Ortega – when he really clamps it in like he did here. Like, yeah, it was that was it was a wrap there. And um yeah, and it's just this man's been doing this for a long time. I mean, like you know the story about Brian Ortega at all is like this man grew up in a not great area in southern in Los Angeles, started doing jujitsu under Henner Gracie, who's still his coach, who's still there. And then like I guess like they couldn't afford it. And then Henner's like, it's fine. I see a lot of he saw a lot of potential, a lot of potential in him, and like said, you don't have to pay. And just this guy was his prodigy. He was his, you know, his number one student. So great to see. Uh, Mike, he did not call out Ilya Taporia when it was over. He said, I will talk to Dana and Sean and all these guys afterwards. I'm not sure the best decision right there. But then afterwards, he said um, he's happy to go to Spain and fight Ilya. But he don't think he doesn't think it would be fair for him to do so if Volkanovsky is willing to go first. He says Volkanovsky has done too much. For him to get passed over for anybody, which is a very honorable thing to say. Uh, I think, Mike, we're all on team. Let's get Volkanovsky a vacation um, for a little bit here. But uh, if he doesn't, I mean, here we are again, me talking about UFC 300. Max Holloway probably could be fighting for a title, but I don't think any one of us thinks he's going to come out of this Justin Gaethje fight okay, even if he wins. Like, nobody's okay after those fights. Like, another division we fucked up with UFC 300 with an unnecessary fight, but. What do you think? Do we go Volkanovski? I mean, let's say we want to fight in... We got a star over there, man. We got to put him back out there again. Let's say we want this kid to fight in late August. Or in September, no, late August, no. we want Ilya. We uh, we we don't have Volkanovski. Look, look. Ortega knows what he's doing, mm. okay? He knows for damn sure Volkanovski is about to take himself a nice long rest. He's not going to be fighting anytime soon. So Brian Ortega, he's like, you know what? I noticed for a fact, I'm going to pretend like I'm here being honorable. Like, oh, no, let Volkanovski get it. Knowing damn well Volkanovski's not fighting for probably like another year. He's like, all right, I guess I'll fight. Oh, I'm so I'm so honorable. So I mean, get I, the I, hell out I, of think, here. Or I think Volkanovski wants to fight. I think it's a bad idea, but I think he wants to fight, man. Honestly. I think it's a bad idea, but we'll see. So you think we're going to do Ortega and, and Ilya? 
You think that's what's next? Yeah, you know, um, as I mentioned last week, um, new champion makes all matchups and all old challengers fresh again. So it'd be great to see Brian Ortega go for the title again. I mean, the other guy who probably has a claim to this is is Movsar uh, Ivloev. But Dana White said his last fight was one of the most boring fights in UFC history, which those of us who watched it thought, I don't think it was that boring. Do you remember that fight, Mark? I didn't think it was that bad, him and Arnold Allen. I thought it was okay. Like <laughs> I don't honestly remember it too much. It was the knee sure thing. It, it the was the most... illegal knee with his hand down type thing. It was that fight, which I remember thinking, like, mm, right. it was fine. I wasn't bored watching it, but I get it. Uh, well, T-City is a guy that uh, Ilya could hit for sure. But if Ilya doesn't mind his P's and Q's, you know, and go home, you know, nap time right there. Speaking of Ilya, I'm not sure if everybody saw this, but Ilya went out there, uh, did the soccer version of the ceremonial first pitch at uh, Bernabeu, Bernabeu, the um, Real Madrid stadium, got a thunderous ovation in front of 85,000 Spaniards. Um, just kind of wild that he's an immigrant over there and they're treating him like one of their own. This guy's a big deal, Mike. This guy's a big deal. The UFC should probably take advantage of this. Time to do fight card in Spain. Well, let's see. They never ended up doing a fight card in Hawaii. I mean, they say the reason is they can't, like, there's no venue they could do it in. And I'm like, I don't know. Taylor Swift doesn't go to Hawaii. What are you guys, what do they do those concerts at? Like, what what do we do that? (laughs) They used to do the pro ball over there. Just saying. Also, they had three Mexican champions for a minute there, and they didn't go to Mexico City with them. There's that. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, other notables from this card. Raul Rosas got a tummy ache, so there was no fight. Um, that's rude. I didn't mean it to be like that. He got sick or something. I think he had a bad cut, is what they seem to imply. And then the UFC is like, nah, they're just going to fight next week. And then Ricky Tercios, who's Raul's opponent, is like, I didn't agree to shit yet. We're like, what do you mean we're fighting next week? They're really going to make these people cut weight again, Mike? Like a week later? If one guy's saying that he pulled out of a fight because he was sick? Like a week, and it it really it sucks for both of them. It really sucks for Raul Ro, Raul Rojas because Roses because that he's probably getting just well now from that illness, and now he's gonna have to go through weight cutting again. I was gonna say, do we need to do this again? Do we need to cut him again? I mean, if I'm if I'm Ricky Tercio, though, I'm just like fucking make him cut weight. <laughs> you're gonna make me fight in a week make him cut weight oh yeah i mean if if, if i'm tercio yeah i'm you're gonna force me into this be, shit. Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i'm not gonna be you know magnanimous about it but i mean it still sucks yeah uh daniel zellhuber and francisco prado um that was a fun fight because francisco prado was trying to take his head off the entire time just everything he threw was just fucking heat uh, Zell Huber looked good though. Um, Yasmin Waragay, Zam Hughes, pretty one fight aside of affair. Um, from the prelims, Claudia Puyas, who had all of Madison Square Garden, booing, Square Garden booing him when Mike and I was there, put on another stinker. So I don't know what happened with this dude because he'd won five straight UFC fights on the way up there, but he's just diving for knee bars, man. And doesn't really have a plan when that doesn't work. Um, yeah, uh, performance of the nice Brian Ortega and Manuel Torres. Manuel Torres opened the main card up with a quick choke of Chris Duncan. 
Um, and that fight of the night was Zell Hubert and Francisco Prado, who I mentioned was just throwing fucking heat for 15 minutes. Shout out to these guys who were throwing heat for this long, man. UFC seems to have learned their lesson, Mark, where there's there was no fight on this weight uh, on this card above 155 pounds. They're like, we are not going to Mexico City with a bunch of slow ass fucking dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was the plan or what, but not none of them booked, you know, nothing hey. booked. So we all remember Mark Hunt versus uh, Ben Rothwell out there, where it looked like somebody was gonna fucking die from <laughs> just exhaustion. Sure. Luke in Paulo Costa, I think that was in Utah, but yeah. a similar climate. Maybe we don't go to these high altitude places. There's no one else we can go in Mexico. What's the altitude in Monterey? Huh? <laughs> What's the altitude in Tijuana? Let's see if it's pretty sea level. Um, 21,000 people. The gate not announced, but I'm sure everybody fucking paid too much money. Especially that guy in the white shirt who got had really good seats just to get knocked the fuck out right there. And if we may talk about that for just a second. Because you just watched it. It didn't now. even look like it was... <laughs> I, I did watch it at the beginning of the podcast. It didn't even look like it was that stiff of a punch. It just seemed like a it's a very short jab, and he went down like a ton of bricks. I feel he landed on a pile of chairs, too. It didn't help his cause. <laughs> um, the Ooh, UFC is back the next week. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute here. But first, let's talk about um, what hope to be what hopes to be a solid number two option for mixed martial artists. Or co-leader, as Don Davis likes to say. The PFL went out there in Saudi Arabia at the Kingdom Arena. um, Put on Bellator versus PFL. Mike Tyson was there. Uh, Francis Ngannou was there. John Jones was there, dressed like a sheik. Um, Looking a little bit chunky. We know that because Francis Ngannou yelling, uh, uh, shit-talking John Jones about how fat he is. Was part of the broadcast. Um, this is not a good show. Like just like production wise, it was the audio was all fucked up. It was weird. Um, I feel like I got. I didn't pay for it. Who am I gonna lie to you guys? It was fifty dollars. If I'd paid fifty dollars, I'd be pretty pretty annoyed by it. Um, we had four Bellator, five Bellator versus uh, PFL fights, and Bellator won four of them, and but then lost the one that mattered most, which was the main event. Hennen Ferreira put Ryan Bader out in 21 seconds. Uh, Chael tried to create some weird controversy about back-of-the-head strikes. Um, at least one of them landed, but Ryan Bader was rolling around. What are you going to do? It's 21 seconds. Hennen Ferreira is uh, foot eight. Ryan Bader, not six foot eight. So there's that. They said that the winner of this fight was going to fight Francis Ngannou, who was there. You think there would be some sort of... In cage stare down, Mike, but no, Francis had places to be. He just left. The second was over. Um, not a great, not great, not great. Um, Johnny Eblen, um, who decided to go viral a week or so ago on TMZ, going on a shopping spree with uh, OnlyFans model Rebecca J. Um, should have been training more. Uh, got the win here, but man, Impa Kansagane in the second round gave him everything he wanted and more. Because I went into this fight, Mark, thinking, hey, I think Johnny Eblen, like, top three, top four in the UFC, if he was in the UFC. And uh, Johnny, uh, then, uh, Impa Kasagane was making me think, all right, maybe, like, bottom half of the top ten. Because this was the worst performance I've seen Johnny Eblen have. He was getting tuned up and uh, turned it around in the third round. Quite frankly, I'm not sure he won the first round. I You give that scorecard to Johnny, to Impa Kasagane, I 
no arguments here. Um, rough look for him. Got the win, though. Another Bellator win. Jason Jackson, Ray Cooper to third. Uh, was a catchweight fight. And Ray Cooper was still way smaller than Jason Jackson, Mark. Not great. Just mm-hmm. not great for him. They don't have a middleweight division in uh, in PFL. Oh, right. They have, like, welterweight and then, like, heavy like, or yeah. something. And then uh, Vadim Nemkov with Fedor in his corner took care of Bruno Capaloza uh, in about seven minutes. Uh, Yoel Romero and Tiago Santos looked exactly what you think it looked like, Mike. It was just slow and occasional burst of action by Yoel. Um, AJ McKee uh, handled Clay Collard right there. And Aaron Pico's ready, man. Aaron Pico took care of Henry Corrales. We got to see what's happening here. Clarissa Shields versus Kelsey DeSantis is one of the worst fights I've ever watched uh, on any broadcast ever. It was fucking terrible. Uh, so wait a second. Worse than Dada Five Thousand Kimbo Slice. That was so bad. It was funny though. That I mean, so, uh, one guy nearly died. The other guy died two <laughs> months later. Like that's not to laugh at the bad situation, but yeah, that's what happened. The only the, the two times Mike has laughed funniest at an MMA fight. One is Dada Five Thousand versus Kimbo Slice. Um. Where he called, I'm not sure if that's the one you called me. Uh, we were watching at the same time. And the other one was when big homie Emmanuel Newton knocked out King Mo. <laughs> and King Mo, you called me to yell, yo, this man fell over like a big oak tree. <laughs> so, and you say you don't like Bellator. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mark, this was a rough look, honestly. I don't know. They're trying to say it was sold out. There was not 30,000 people here. There was wasn't. I don't know what the measuring stick of success even is. It was weird. They got to do better than this. Um, but they needed uh, they needed a better roster. And they got that out of Bellator, at least. They got a better group of talent. So. Um, yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, for a couple of reasons, this was, you know, their big event, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they had just bought the whole Bellator organization. Mm-hmm. This was their big PFL versus Bellator event, right? And it definitely seems like in the last couple of weeks, and maybe we, we didn't notice it, but like it seemed like the card got shifted around because the final card didn't seem as appealing to me as when they first announced it. And I think like I Pitbull didn't fight. We lost Pitbull. Yeah. And there were some other fights that fell through. And it just like when, when when I saw the final card, I was just like, I don't, this doesn't seem as as epic as I once thought it was. You know, and then to hear that the pay per view itself wasn't, you know, the production wasn't you know, of the quality that we're used to. And to be fair, like UFC has been doing that for a very long time. Um, but, you know, there's a couple of things that I would hope a newcomer to this, you know, to that space would do differently. And a lot of it is just like, let's just get the fights going. Like mm-hmm. I really, it's one of those things like, look, you got seven. They, they, I did like that. They were, fight. the pacing was, was good. Quick? Well, we were just going. Okay. Like that was the one okay. thing that well, was good. good. It was like, we just fuckers got these motherfuckers out there. Like that was. And that's the one thing that I always would want is just like let's just let's just get to the fights right i don't need a I, I don't mind a little preamble i don't mind a little video package getting me excited for the next fight but you know like let, let's keep the train moving i don't want to be sitting in commercials so it, it good that they did that but i think ultimately there didn't seem to be as much buzz around the card as i would have thought um mm-hmm. leading up to it um and then obviously the results i think you know this potentially was an opportunity for the pfl kind of brand to really make a claim for itself. You know, you're fighting against another second tier brand in Bellator. If they had a few more wins or there were more competitive fights and, you know, 
the conversation coming out of this, if it was more, whoa, the PFL really has some good talent. I didn't think they'd be able to match up with the guys at Bellator as well. That didn't seem to really be the case. Not like you mentioned, like the one fight they probably needed to win was the main event, the heavyweight fight, because that's obviously going to lead into the Francis fight. And allegedly. Yeah. And, and I think Ferreira is an interesting foil potentially to Francis, mostly because of his physicality. Mm -hmm. He is huge. When you saw him, you know, stare down with Ryan Bader, Bader looked like a child. Like he literally had to look up to him. Like it really looked like you could obviously tell this one guy's a light heavyweight. This dude's a fucking heavyweight. This dude is a legit for the size heavyweight. And, you know, we, we've had heavyweight champions that have been able to be on the lighter scale of that, you know, 205 to 265. We've seen a couple of guys that came Velasquez who's in the 220, 230 range where they're using a lot of the speed to negate the power of these big guys. But Francis is a big guy, right? And if it was going to be Francis and Bader, it's going to be like, do we really think Bader is going to blast double Francis? He's not going to see that coming because Bader is just not that diverse where it's like, oh, dude, this dude sets up his takedowns like no one else. Do, like, do he you, goes for a takedown. A lot of time you see it coming is, is this if they have. Let defense? me tell you, Mark, do you know how bad uh, if you want to know how bad uh, dude's takedown defense is, by the way, though, um, heading for Eros, or, is that yeah. he's that big. He has no takedown defense, zero. So that's why it was more or less a close fight betting-wise for this. Um, mm -hmm. To be very clear, if Francis wants to, he could take Hedden Ferreira down at will, okay? This is a surreal gone level of takedown defense is what I'm getting at, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whenever he wants, Francis could take this down. If this fight ever happens, there was no in-fight. There was no stare-down in the cage, Mike. There was no stare-down in the cage. Francis was there calling John Jones fat, sitting next to Mike Tyson. Again, Best part of the broadcast, calling John Jones fat, okay? <laughs> Best part, okay? Really enjoyed that part. I mean, in, in, fairness, in fairness, John Jones is looking real healthy. He's, he's getting into that uh, that heavyweight body. Um, <laughs> man, when they let's, let me just say this. The guy said, I don't think about the UFC. I don't think about that lawsuit. The guy who runs PFL said that. It's all he should think about because that's the only chance they have is if UFC contracts get upended. It's the only chance this operation has of succeeding. Or we're just going to be a money sink for them. Then it's just going to be like, you know, you hope the UFC leaves ESPN. And then ESPN puts the weight behind the PFL or something. It's only a prayer these motherfuckers have. Because it's not going to end well. Speaking of the lawsuit, we found, we got the list of bootlickers, folks. We got the list of bootlickers. Let's go down the line here. Michael Bisping. UFC employee. Um... Michael Bisping also talking about a pay structure that is not the case anymore, which is I make a certain amount of money, and then Uncle Dana gives me a large check in the in the back. It's not a thing anymore. Also, Mike, uh, if you're part of if a large part of your pay is not uh, part of the actual contract, just my guess on the situation seems like they can control you quite a bit if it's entirely discretionary bonus, huh? Wouldn't you say? <laughs> I think that's a pretty accurate assessment by you, Bobby. Yeah. Next up, Donald Cerrone, who, if you remember correctly, tried to start a fighters union and caved the second they gave him peanuts more, apparently, in money. Uh, Donald Cerrone, who made, I can't emphasize this enough when I say this, $200,000 for fighting Conor McGregor, an event that made probably $80 million in revenue, okay? He made $200,000. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, how? How is that possible? 
Okay. Next bootlicker, Michael Chandler, um, who is not part of the class of the original lawsuit, but is part of the class of the separate class action, which is of the current case, the Cajun Johnson one, um, says, I don't have a problem with the quote unquote fighter pay argument. Man said, quote unquote. Um, this is my favorite part, he said. Dana White has had 10,000 sleepless nights when most of us fighters are just showing up to practice and going to bed. Laying our head on the pillow and getting after it and getting paid a decent wage for what we do. Yeah, Dana White, thousand sleepless nights. I mean, first of all, it's Lorenzo's money. <laughs> if I'm anybody had sleepless nights, it's Lorenzo. Okay. Dana White didn't have a sleepless night the night he smacked his wife. Okay. He knew he was going to be fine out of that one. Chael Sonnen, who we all enjoy Uncle Chael on some level. I'm just going to let you read. Let me just uh, read a quote to you, Mike, and you tell me what Chael says here. Can you, what your reaction to this is? He said, Can you name one company on earth that gives a 50 50 revenue split? Mike? I'm assuming Chael says the USC? No, no. He's saying that, like, it's ridiculous to ask for no one the revenue split. Oh. Oh, um, uh, the NBA. Yeah, that's one. I believe MLB. That's another one right there. That's I believe good. NFL. That's the third one right there. Uh, <laughs> I believe the NHL think, as well. I think so. That one too. I think that's also the. I, I'm pretty sure any any of the major sports leagues, which the UFC tries to pretend to be yeah. one of. Hey, to be clear, I don't think people are ever saying it needs to be fifty fifty. I think we would take thirty five sixty five at this point when it's you know sixteen was last year. I think they would take twenty five. Uh, Misha Tate, who. Uh, I, I I don't know why. She's I, still on the payroll. She's yeah. still an active fighter. I mean, this is my favorite part. All these managers who are coming to testify on behalf of the company. When part of this lawsuit is talking about these managers serve no, serve no purpose, and all they do is they work hand-in-hand hand with the UFC. And sometimes all offered, they said the fighter will take less money than what the UFC is offering. Scumbag Ali Abdelaziz. Jason House. Josh Jones, ATT owner to Dan Lambert, and Ed Soros. Good job, guys. Good job, guys. Again, they're going to pay a large money in a settlement. The uh, lawsuit, the Cajun Johnson lawsuit is going to be whether this industry changes or not. We'll see. Or they sell the whole thing to the Saudis, and this whole thing dies anyway. Uh, the UFC is back next weekend in with, with truly maybe the worst Apex card ever. I know we say that a lot, Mark, but I don't know who the guy in the co-main in the main event is. I don't know who Shamil Gazaev is. Mm-hmm. He's 11 and 0, 12 and I don't know what he is. He's 34 years old heavyweight. He's fighting the biggie boy. Um, If he knocks out the biggie boy, Mike, I think it's fair for us to pay attention to him then, I guess. Like he's yeah, tw- sure. he's twelve and zero with eleven finishes. So Biggie Boy and uh, Biggie Boy is I don't remember the last time Biggie Boy fought anybody. Could you could say any name? Oh, Jolton Almeida took him out in nice. three and a half minutes. How long ago was that? May. It was so much longer ago. I'm just taking the under one and a half rounds in this fight. That's what I would do. For everybody's sake. Some weird shit happening on this card too, Mark. We're like, we were going to get Umar Nurmagomedov against Corey Sandhagen at one point. 
And then instead, now we're just doing like Umar. I guess Umar pulled out of that fight or something, and now we're just doing Umar versus uh, some guy who's making his UFC debut. Yeah, and good good record, but no name value. It's like when you're going to fight Corey Sanhagen, and that was going to potentially put you in title contention to fight someone that has never fought in the UFC that no one's going to know is, is, is a there's fairly one, big step. There's one fight on here I know you're actually a little bit excited for. You think it might actually be pretty mm-hmm. decent. Would you go ahead? Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, Uh, Matt Chanel and Steve Ersig. I think it's Ersig. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think you got it right. Yeah. Um, I've seen Steve fight a couple times. I think he's in Australian or New Zealand or something. Yeah. Um, and he's looked pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know, Matt Chanel really put his name on the map with, you know, what was my fight of the year, I think in 2022, maybe two years ago. Him and Nicolau. Yeah. I can't remember who, who he, he hasn't fought, fought against, since. But... That was his last fight. Oof, geez. Um, but I think that was. That's a pretty Wait, was it that one, or was, I mean, it, was it was it that fight or the Sumadarji fight? Did he win the fight? That you remember? Who I think, yeah, he won. Oh, it was a Sumadarji. Yeah, I think one, it was. Right? It was Sumadarji. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to be fair, like, there's a couple names on. Like you said, Umar's fighting Tyson Pedro's in there. It's just you know, again, it's one of those cards where it's like you know, a couple of the fights here. I know one player. Um, that's just not enough to get very excited about. I think Alex Perez versus Muhammad Mukayev could be good. Honestly, Mike, yeah. at this point, we got to just look at this the way the UFC operates. There's three very different tiers we have. We have this Apex bullshit, and then we have the fight nights in front of human beings, yep. and then we got pay-per-views where we invite right-wing celebrities to. Those those are the three tiers, right? Pretty much? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think you're, you're about right there, and that's how you should gauge what type of competition is going to be on that particular card which going back to usc 301 uh that one's not in front of the apex which is why i think at this point now we're all just a little surprised at how weak that card is so far because it is supposed to be in front of people you expect type this type of shit from an apex card i mean the saudi arabians saw this card and said fuck you right this is the card Actually, this is the Saudi card. Look at it. <laughs> I mean, guys, look at it. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> How? What? <laughs> it's fucking terrible. <clears throat> Maybe Ricky Tercios has to find uh, <laughs> Raul Rosas on this, too. We'll see. So, yeah, uh, UFC is back the following though, week in Miami. Uh, at the, uh, I don't know what they call where the Heat play. It used to be called American Airlines Arena. And then it was the FTX thing. Kaseya Center. The fuck's a Kaseya? What's Kaseya? Who the fuck knows? I do not know. It was it was FTX, right? For a minute? It, it was, but their owner is now in jail. Yeah, and his, his buddy, too. Uh, Kaseya, 17 years, 117 million. Kaseya is a tech company out of Miami. Worth $1.3 billion. All right. Cool for them. Wow. Shit. Yeah, UFC 299. Really good card. Uh, take the week off from, M- from MMA, people. This is this is garbage. So what we're going to do, we're going to have a little fun this time with our top five list, which uh, is the most loosely nonsensical one we've put together in some time with stuff that's going to be all over the place. 
And I think the best all-encompassing word we came up for it, Mike, was our top five runner-ups, which could be a sports team. I'm pretty sure it's runners-up. Oh, you're right. Top five runners-up. That's a good point. It's like attorneys general. I got you. Um, Which means, you know, we could go with a sports team, could be a fictional thing, could be a brand, could be whatever you want it to be, something that isn't the best. And the theme that I came up with this, and I'm going to take credit for this, is because we got a very clear number two in the MMA space. But we don't like this one because that was a terrible card, PFL. You got to do better. I'm, I'm out here waving the PFL flag for fucking years. You got to do better than this. All right. You got to do better than this. Um, all right. I'm going to lead off here. And uh, this is uh, the former uh, number two professional wrestling organization when I was a child. And I feel we've rewritten history quite a bit about what this company really was. Uh, WCW, you know, where the big boys play. Uh, History, those of you who are a little bit younger probably think WCW is just like, oh, some company. And then they just signed all WWE stars. And the show was actually terrible, right? WWE always had a better show. But, you know, they just had like, they stole Hogan and Macho Man. And that's why, yada, yada, yada. And WCW had a good show for a while, man. WCW had a good show. Uh, Mark knows this. They had the Luchadors. Really enjoyed them. You know, Psychosis, Rey Mysterio Jr., La Parca, the chairman. That was my guy. Um, Stinko Malenko, Mark's guy. Wasn't his name, was it Stinko? It was Dean Malenko. You know, Jericho, Benoit, Guerrero. Fucking Sting just carried 1997 on his back in WCW. They fucked it up at the end. That's fine. Yeah. WCW. I I was I enjoyed watching WCW. I was a I was a fan when I was a kid. Enjoyed the general chaos of it. I enjoyed D- Tony Schiavone yelling, "It's Sting!" That's why I still like him doing that in 2024. So first one, WCW. Mark, what's your first runner-up or secondary, whatever you want to call this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I'm just hungry because all mine are food. Okay, <laughs> all mine are food related. Um, and the first one, I'm always. I mean, to make these make sense, I'm going to tell you what. What would be considered the, the, the top brand? Yeah, that's fair. And then mine's the secondary brand. So if your top brand is a 7-Up or a Sprite, I've always enjoyed a Sierra Mist. You know, this, <laughs> and a lot of my thinking of this is really like when you go to a restaurant and you say you want Coke and they're like, is Pepsi okay? Of course it's okay. There's never been a time I went to a restaurant and I ordered a soft drink and they're like, is this alternative not okay? And I've been like, no, 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 no. Nah, fuck it's you. It's not my brand. I don't want your shit. What if um, what if they yeah, say I mean, it's like tab cola? You know what? If I said Coke and they're like, we only have tab, I'd be I'd probably more interested. Yeah, be let's like, go. Really? You have, yeah. You have tab on tap. That's an interesting choice. Whoever is like their branch manufacturer, like the, the branch salesman does like, look, you could get Coke up in here. You could get Pepsi. But you're going to get tab. That's a hell of a salesman right there. Who's able to sell the restaurant on that? Um, but yeah, Sierra Mist. I mean, I think with all the the lime sodas, you really can't go wrong. I never had a bad one. They're all refreshing in their own right, nice and carbonated. And anytime I've had to take a Sierra Mist, I've always enjoyed it. So there you go. I told you guys, this is going to be all over the place in terms of this category. Mike, what is yours? <laughs> all right. So for mine, we got to go back about nine years. It was 2015, 2016. Dominant team, unanimous MVP, broke about a 30-year record of the Chicago Bulls. I don't need this today. And then they lose a 3-1 lead 
in the NBA Finals to LeBron James's Cavaliers. That was a rough one. Actually, it didn't matter. And so, of course, the most ultimate runner-up, in my opinion, at least in basketball, is the record-breaking 73-9 and Golden State Warriors. Yeah. That was rough. They should have won that one. Oh, well. We won the year before, and then the two years after, and then again a few years after that. So, overall, happy ending right there. Um, yeah. All right. Um, the next one. It's a very specific one. It's Team Iceland from the Mighty Ducks 2. Okay? Ooh. Team Iceland were a bunch of dogs. Okay? First of all, I didn't think you can fucking lasso a motherfucker. Okay? <laughs> we're breaking all sorts of rules with the Mighty Ducks. Okay? We're, done, we're dishing out cold clotheslines. I don't know if you could have a guy wear a jersey that's not his. Because when dude went all knuckle puck and shit, you know, when he was dressed as Goldberg, we're just cheating, okay? The Minnesota Miracle Man, more like the Minnesota cheer, uh, Cheating Man, okay? So the Team Iceland, which is basically the Soviet Union from the Miracle on Ice story. We just told that story. I'm going to go with Team Iceland from Mighty Ducks 2. Now, <laughs> if, if I may, as someone who's been a bit of a Mighty Ducks aficionado his whole life, are you sure it shouldn't be the Hawks? And here's why. Here's why. I thought about the Hawks, but go ahead. Here's why. Because, yeah, Team Iceland was a very good team. But, and let's also remember, that it was supposed to be the USSR, but I think sometime between 1990 and 93, they're like, uh, nah, communism's done. Let's just do Iceland. Yeah. Anyway. All right. But Team USA as you just heralded was what just stated was coached by the heralded Minnesota miracle miracle man. Right. And supposedly a good, uh, ducks slash USA team. Whereas, whereas the Hawks, right. Under coach, I think his name was Reed. I can't remember, but anyway, they were good in that Minnesota, in that Minneapolis area for God knows how long. They even had the famed Gordon Bombay when he was in Pee Wee hockey, mm -hmm. right? They were on top of the table year after year after year after year. And some little bullshit District 5 team that starts calling themselves the Ducks, who only got into the playoffs because some other team got the measles. Somehow knocks them off. Okay, this is my logic of why I go with the. Uh, okay. I go with Team Iceland. Couple things. Also, one, if you guys haven't noticed, Mighty Ducks was one of my favorite movies growing up, which is why I know all that shit off the dome. I think you said it as one of your. We did one of our lists one time. You definitely brought Mighty Ducks up. One, this was the Junior Goodwill Games, man. It's a much more significant situation. They're a much better team. Okay, one, two, um, I I just lost it. Oh. That Hawks team, you're talking about legacy of being good, okay? That Hawks team wasn't that good because they lost Cake Eater. They lost Banks. That was the whole fucking team. That was the shit right there. When they lost Adam Banks, the whole thing fell apart. So I think the actual Iceland team with the fucking, uh, the fucking Wolf as the coach. I think that was his name, the Wolf, right? Wasn't that his name? Um, with I, the, I know the dentist, I think oh, the dentist. name. The dentist, not the Wolf. Um, and the Hot Trainer. That was uh, hooking up with Coach Bombay. 
coach was a traitor for that shit. Okay. Uh, that was another thing. He fucking was messing with the medical staff. Not allowed. Okay. And then we have those. And Gunnar Stahl, man, the greatest hockey player that we ever seen at the Junior Goodwill Games. So I'm going with Team Iceland. Gunner likes to go fancy. Goes glove side. Let's go, go stick side. Let's go shake their hands. All right. Um, you lost it for me, Gunnar. Lost it for yourself. Okay, Mark. Let's see if your next one doesn't break the mad debate. This one did. I don't. I don't think yeah. it'll have that much dis- discussion. But um, mm. you know, when it comes to the frozen pizza game, I think in quality and in brand name, I would think. DiGiorno's is probably the brand leader. I think that's the most, maybe the most well-known frozen pizza. And, you know, their their marketing campaign is essentially that they're just as good, if not better than delivery. Um, But I've always been, and this is just the pizza, the Tostino's pizza. Because we could talk pizza rolls, and obviously I'm a huge fan of pizza rolls. But even the Tostino's pizza, I have found very enjoyable and significantly cheaper and easier on the wallet than a DiGiorno's. From what I remember from my college days, they were like a dollar a pizza. And um, it's kind of sad and pathetic, but while this che- this pizza was very cheap, I also ate it in the cheapest way because I would not slice this pizza. I ate it whole as a whole pizza. So I would eat from the crust inwards and eat the whole thing because they weren't as you know quite big as the other ones. Hence, hence their their cheaper size. But um, yeah, Tostino's Pizza always enjoyed them. Yeah, they haven't had a recall in about five six years either. So I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Tostino's. The, the Giorno's? No, Tostino's. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, That's good. Mike, go ahead. Tostino's Pizza Rolls. The first thing I made in my air fryer. About that. Anyway, uh, number two for me is also a food item, um, a bit in the same vein as Mark's first one. Um, for me, it's Pepsi. I love Pepsi. Um, if I am at a restaurant, I as I've gotten older, I've mellowed out a bit with my age. But uh, for a long time, if I went to a restaurant and I asked for a Pepsi and they said, is Coke fine? Coke was not fine. I want a Pepsi. So give me a Sprite if you don't have Pepsi. Um, But I recognize that Pepsi is a vast, vastly in the back number two to Coke. Um, And hell, technically it's number three because the number two soft drink is Diet Coke. Um, But in regards to um, just different actual brands, um, I mean, Pepsi is the number two soft drink in, in, in the world. Um, and while I love it, uh, most of the world disagrees. All right. Um, I'm going to go with Apollo Creed. Rest in peace to the big to the man Carl Weathers. Um, Rocky got lucky in the first one. Okay, got lucky. Fucking southpaw with an iron chin fights weird, made made life difficult for Apollo, and then he just switched the entire fucking way he fought in the second one. Apollo was better. Rocky said so himself. In Creed, he said Apollo was better than me. 
There you go. That's what I got. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going with. Mark? <laughs> uh, yeah, so another another food. This one's a, a tasty treat when it comes to when it comes to candy, I do favor myself to be a fruit candy person, maybe a little bit more than chocolate. I mean, I enjoy chocolate just as much as the next guy, but I, I like my fruit candies. And I think in the leaders in, in that kind of market is probably Skittles, Starburst. Um, but I've always been a big fan of Mike and Ike. Has a good chew, lots of variety of flavors. Even the standard one's really good. Um, only Usually only comes in a big movie theater box, so you're usually getting a lot of bang for your buck. Um, always enjoyed a Mike and Ike. That's what I got. Hmm. Mike? All right. Um, my third one. I will pose as a question to you guys. Um, even you might know this one, Mark. You, you know, even though I know you are not for the stick and ball or just ball sports, but who was the man who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball? Robinson. <laughs> that is Robinson? correct. I that is correct, name, Mark. But... Yeah, yeah, Jackie yeah. Robinson. Jackie Robinson. April... That was. That's right. April 15th, 1947. Okay. Who was the second one? Barely knew the first. I can't pull the second one out. They didn't make (laughs) movies or talk about this guy at all. Bobby, you know more baseball. Do you know who the second person was? Larry Dobby. Oh, fuck you. But anyway, most people don't know it was Larry Dobby who was the second person who broke the color barrier in baseball. You see, I know I should have just stuck with Mark. God damn it. Anyway. Larry Dobby, uh, who broke into baseball the same season as Jackie Robinson about two or three months later, he faced the same bullshit that Jackie Robinson had to face. But all of Major League Baseball does not have his number retired. Yeah. Um, There we are. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with... uh... Notorious B.I.G. In the number, no. the, the runner-up oh. to the legendary... That was for the Warriors thing right there. For the runner-up to 90s rap legends, Notorious B.I.G. Because as Mike knows, he's only popular because he died young. Tupac forever. Shit. Tupac forever. Shit could be, same shit <laughs> could be said for Tupac. Shit. Man, Tupac's still out. Tupac's out of, off in Cuba, still putting out albums, baby. All right, still putting out albums. Yo, man, T- Tupac was a whiny little theater arts kid. All right. Yeah, and Notorious B.I.G. was worse. So that was for your Warriors dig. Go ahead, Mark. Your what do you got next? <laughs> yeah, uh, I would come up with a Jets dig, but there was they don't win anything. So <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'm sticking with the food. Um, I think when it comes to fast casual Mexican food. A Chipotle is up there, definitely a Taco Bell. Um, this one is, I haven't had it in a long time, but boy, did I enjoy myself some Del Taco when I was in the Sacramento area. Um, I had mentioned before, underrated French fries. They got a good French fry game. Uh, great chicken quesadilla, good soft tacos. I, I, I wish there was more up where I live because it's been a long time. Just, there's none in the Bay. Um, and I've always enjoyed Del Taco. It's greasy. It's very cheap, um, but very, you know, satisfactory, very enjoyable every time I had it. So, yeah, big fan of Del Taco. Mike. 
Okay, number four for me is Roy Jones. Number two. Why Roy Jones? He was a multiple-time world champion, you're probably thinking. Well, we're going back to amateur Roy Jones. 1988 Roy Jones. Roy Jones, who was an Olympic representative in the 1988 uh, South Korea Olympics, where he didn't lose a single round all the way to the finals. Loses the final to Park Si Hun. Two to three rounds. Loses. Uh, Roy Jones landed 86 punches to Park's 32. Yeah, he didn't lose Park <laughs> reportedly apologized to Jones afterwards. Uh, and the Italian ref, while raising Park's head, told Jones he was dumbstruck by the decision. Uh, one judge shortly after admitted the decision was a mistake. All three judges voting against George were eventually suspended. Um, that was one of the greatest I've seen the fight before on like YouTube. It is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice I have ever seen in my life. Shit wasn't Mark. Have you seen this? It's shit not close. It's not close. No, <laughs> and it doesn't really make sense because Olympic boxing is like a point base, mm -hmm. like literally how many punches you land <laughs> is kind of like the metric of if you win or not. So mm -hmm. when Mike says it was 86 to 30, it's like, well, there's not like like a damage factor or like an opinion and, factor. It, and also, let me let me just make sure to really drive this home. He landed 86 punches to Parks 32 in three rounds. In three of those rounds. Triple the output. I now I want to see this fight just because like it had to be confusing. Like everyone must have been confused. Um Okay. My last one. Globo Jim. From Dodgeball. Yeah. Just saying. Average Joes, they're bullshit. It's the theme you should get from me in these things is that fuck these underdog bullshit stories. We're demonizing these other teams for being well prepared. You know? These motherfuckers get their shit together for a weekend and win a championship or something. Nah. Nah. Believe in greatness, man. Greatness. Like Globo Jim. Like Tupac. Like Iceland. Okay? <laughs> Fucking greatness. <laughs> okay? I'm content that nobody has ever put that sentence together in human history. Yeah. And also, fuck, man. He's basically playing Tony Perkins from Heavyweights again. How am I not going to love him? So, that was my last one. Mark? Uh, yeah, so this one, I would say, always played second fiddle. And I, I enjoyed all these, except I would say maybe uh, the Master System. I never really tried. I didn't even know it existed as a kid. Um, and I would say, like, a pretty clear head above shoulders. The, the Super Nintendo was better than the Genesis. But I've been a big fan of the Saturn and the Dreamcast. I think Sega tried really unique things when it was a uh, video game console manufacturer um and it was kind of sad that they left the game after the dreamcast it made sense the dreamcast was kind of their their big swing right after the the saturn had failed um the dreamcast came out shortly after um it was marketed very quickly it, it had great marketing actually and it had a very attractive price point um ultimately it just couldn't compete with the ps2 
um, which was ultimately its demise. And I mean, no one could um, just on like a technical standpoint, you know, having that DVD player and that PS2 that was literally cheaper than just buying a DVD player. I mean, it just it, it, it didn't make it didn't make sense. You know, if you're in that scenario, if you had the money to to get a console and your options around that time were PlayStation 2 or Dreamcast, you just get so much more functionality. Yes, too. Than you Dreamcast. Um, even though it was ahead of its time in a lot of facets, you know, it came with a modem. You can play games online. You know, Fantasy Star Online was a fantastic game. Um, they really took some big swings with big titles that I think paid off in what they were trying to accomplish. Like a Shenmue cost was the most expensive game ever developed. It didn't earn that money back, so obviously seen as a failure. Um, but I think for people that have played that game can see like, yeah, they really were going for something Man, you, before open world games existed. Bro, sorry. Um, One they really tried you to were, you guys were so excited when Shenmue was coming out. I remember how excited you yeah. guys, you and all of our I friends was, were. You were so fucking stoked for that game. I remember yeah, that. <laughs> it was a generational type game. Like they didn't, they still don't make a lot of games like that with the kind of level of detail. It, it was, it was like a life simulator. You, you were mm-hmm. basically in the shoes of you know this this teenager that was living in Japan in the 1980s, it just it felt so authentic and so realistic, especially for its time. Um, but yeah, Sega did a lot of interesting stuff with their consoles um, and their games, and you know they're they're kind of a shadow of their former selves. But uh, yeah, they they were a good second fiddle. So give it to them. Mike, take us home. Uh, this just category. a slight slight a slight bit of a very sad news. Um, one of the founding members of the Four Horsemen, uh, Ole Anderson, uh, dead. So uh, that kind of sucks. Man, Ole Anderson didn't like anybody. <laughs> that was like a known thing. The only person he didn't hate, like he hated everybody. It was like a famous thing, was Sting. He said Sting was all right. <laughs> it's like a joke where it's like, man, even even Ole likes Sting. But yeah, I saw I saw Ric Flair talked about it because fucking Ole hated Ric Flair, and Ric Flair's the one who announced he died. He's like, "Hey man, I always appreciate you." <laughs> like Ole's in his grave. Like, fuck you, Rick. Fuck you. Um. Well. Uh, so back to this. Uh, to the regularly scheduled program. Um. Ah oh, man, I had an outside looking in. I wanted to say, oh yeah, uh, outside looking in. I just wanted to give some props to uh, Johnny Lawrence, a two-time all-value karate champ before the skinny little Italian punk from Reseda, uh, Daniel LaRusso, beat him with an illegal uh, kick to the face. But anyway. Uh, Outside looking in is honorable one. mention? Yes. Okay. That took me a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just confirming. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, some OLIs, man. Uh, so the last one for me, and I feel this list of runner-ups wouldn't be complete without the Prince of All Saiyans, Prince Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, yeah, but yo, Mark knows. Mark knows. That's that's that's, that's, that's a good, a good one. Yeah, that's great. That's a good. I mean, one, the dude yeah, that yeah, thank you was always never as strong as Goku, but it, it, it's so insane. That, that anime is so fucking stupid. Like, no one had ever been a Super Saiyan before. And then Goku's level 18, and Vegeta is always right behind him. It's like he becomes 18 right after he does. It's just like, yeah, whenever they go, whatever they are now, like super instinct to whatever bullshit, Vegeta's going to learn it just after Goku consistently. And, but, but, but I'll tell you there. this. 
Well, I'll tell you right now, though, it don't matter what he does. He's always going to be boop, just one step behind. And but also a very fun and great character in his own right, too. So good pick. Yes. Thank you. All right. Um, I think that's it for our top five. Let's do uh, stuff we like. Um, I not really got anything. It's a pretty uneventful weekend. I watched so much fucking MMA and most of it was shit. Um, but I did. I do like being able to trade in old shit. Got rid of two PlayStation 4s. 70 bucks each. Yeah. That's what they'll give you How for your the hell do you have two PlayStation 4s? My brother dropped his off at my house at one point and said, hey, can you get rid of this? You can just, whatever they'll give you for it, you can keep. And that was about a year and a half ago. So, yeah. So I've got two PlayStation 4s sitting here. Let me tell you, buddy, guys, $70 from Best Buy is the best you're going to do. And also, if you don't have a power cable, they will give you $0. So you got to make sure you have your power cable. So, Damn. Dude, for a minute, I couldn't find power cable. I was about to give my PlayStation 5 power cable. And go buy one somewhere else for like something because they had the same type of cable. I was gonna go buy one for like eight bucks on Amazon. So, yeah, not a lot for me this week. Uh, Mark, you got anything? Yeah, I got a couple things. Um, again, still playing a lot of Hell Divers too. Really loving it. This last weekend, actually, servers didn't have any issues. It seems like they're kind of figured all that stuff out, which is great. Um, but coming up this week, you know, probably the biggest game or at least one of the biggest games coming out this year, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, the part two to the trilogy of the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed Remake. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. February's been uh, a kind of good month for me because two of my top five games, which we talked about many episodes ago, um, have big sequels coming up on this month. You know, we had Helldivers 2, which I just talked about. Um, yeah, and then Rebirth is basically, you know, part two of this remake, and I, I loved the remake, um, you know, it really only dealt with the first like three hours of Final Fantasy VII. So Rebirth is is carrying a lot of water, and this game is going to be really huge. It's basically they're getting out of Midgar, which is like your main hub city when you first start the game, um, and kind of allowing you to go all throughout the world of Final Fantasy VII, more or less Midgar, I believe. I believe it's called Midgar in Seven. I'm not sure now, um, but yeah, yeah, reviews came out earlier this week. Um, Really positive stuff, not too surprising. Uh, they released a demo about two weeks ago. It was close enough to release that I was just like, I'll just wait. I don't need to, to play the demo and then have to, you know, basically replay an hour or so when I first get it. It'll all be fresh and new to me. Um, so that's coming out. I'm very excited for that. Uh, but also, this past week, um, I started watching a show which I had actually probably like eight months or so um, called Resident Alien. Uh, this just popped up on Netflix. Um, I was homesick one day and I was like, I kind of want to watch a show that I don't need to be fully engaged with. I'd seen a couple episodes of Resident Alien before. So I was like, I'll put this on and just kind of let it run through. And um, it's a really good show. You know, I, I enjoyed it when I first started watching it. It has, I'm going to ruin this guy's name. It's like Alec, Alan Tunick or who's the guy from Firefly, the blonde guy. It's Alan something. Alan Tunick. Yeah, um, he's he's our main protagonist who's basically an alien that crash lands on Earth and then he can basically camouflage himself as a human person. So he kills this one guy and basically starts masquerading as him. And so it's a lot of fish out of water stuff, but it has a great sense of humor. And honestly, the show, I, I found it very enjoyable. And most of the shows that I really enjoy or have the same kind of situation where like i really like the side characters probably more than the main character and their story arc 
a lot of the side characters I find more interesting and I'm more interested in what they're going through, which is basically like a lot of characters in this small town in Colorado called Patience. And like, if this dude wasn't an alien and doing all the crap that he's getting for, if it was just about these other characters, I'd be just as invested, if not more. Um, I think I think it's fun. It's it, it, you know there's some good comedy premise there, and you know people are after this alien and stuff. But really, it's these these more human stories with the other people in the town that I've really have enjoyed quite thoroughly. Um, so yeah, that's all I thought this week. All right. Um... That's it for us this... Oh, Mike, I'm so sorry. I don't really end with Mark. Mike, go ahead. Sorry. No, you are fine. Uh, mine is a quick one. It's a continuation from last week's. Last week, I told you guys I love the hot new movie Alien. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. This week, I watched Aliens. Very different. Um, Very different in that about seven years went by between sequels and you can definitely see one of these movies was made in the 70s the other movie was made in you know the mid to late 80s um very good movie i would say better than the first one um and uh i thought it was a very enjoyable um weirdly enough the the one thing that my girlfriend pointed out to me having watched both of the movies um is she was like, wow, Sigourney Reaver is rocking a massive bush in these movies. Like you said, it was the 70s and 80s, right? And, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, how the hell are you? Where, where the hell are you seeing this? And because when they're going to the cryostasis, they're all wearing like skimpy underwear. And she's like, you can easily see it there. And then I'm like, I'm calling bullshit. And like, we go back and like, she says, she says, look right there. And I'm like, oh, that's like a shadow. That's nothing. And then I go online to just look up. All right. Is this a thing? Oh, and apparently it's a thing because in the first movie, she's wearing like white and under white underwear my girlfriend's like you can easily see the bush in that movie it's the 70s what do you expect it's not anything crazy it's just a big ass bush it's the 70s what do you hey what are you gonna do but anyway i'm getting sidetracked here the movie was very good um the action in it was much better than the first one um they introduced a lot of different elements that i think are in the next movies to come and you know just reviews on it say it's one of the best movies of the 80s and how even evidenced by the fact that Sigourney Weaver was nominated for a best lead actress role um in the uh, Academy Awards that year uh not something I think you see very often for a sci-fi movie and not something you see for a space sci-fi horror movie so hey pretty good if you haven't seen a 40 year old movie called Aliens go watch it right on all right, team. Apologies to Mike. Now we have completed as my dog decides she's also done being quiet. Um, be back next week. We are going to preview UFC 299 and mm-hmm. Francis Ngannou versus Anthony Joshua. Mike, how much money are we losing betting on Big Fran here? Uh, what's your number for how much you're going to lose betting on Big Fran? I'll put 10 bucks on him. Yeah, I was thinking 20 to 30. I might go 10 on Francis to win, another 10 on Francis by KO. You know, I'm thinking that. I think when I last looked, Francis was like, let me see if I can find it since we can talk intelligently about it. 
It wasn't paying out the way it should, man. Fight him, an 0 1 boxer fighting one of the best fighters in the world. Uh, Francis coming into this one at. Come on now. Francis Ngannou coming in at plus 320. Jesus Christ, that's not enough. Mike, that is not enough. That is not enough. The fight going to decision plus 275 might not be a bad idea, quite frankly. All right, we'll talk about UFC 299, though. See if anybody thinks Cheeto is going to take this belt home. Um, we're going to pick a lot of fights on that card, folks. That's a... Uh, I mean, that one is deep, right, Mark? We were talking about that one. Um, we're like seven yeah. fights deep here, and... Um, and uh, there's not like a fight. There's only like one fight on the whole card where I was like, I don't know who these two guys are. And then it was Junior's most the, anticipated the, the, fight. the Rebellus guy. Yeah, I was, I've looked into him too. Do you know about this guy, bro? He's no. uh, he's four. He's a heavyweight. Uh, he's 35 year old Cuban who was Olympic uh, bronze medalist at 80 kilograms um, in Taekwondo. Um, he's four and zero and. These are his fight lengths. First fight, 4 minutes, 54 seconds. Second fight, 12 seconds. Third fight, 3 seconds. Fourth fight, 4 seconds. That's how long he's fought in these three fights. So, four fights. So, yeah, that one's... We're, we're possibly picking... I'm looking at it right now. We're picking at least eight fights. So, uh, we're off some fun next week. Uh, until then, I was Dr. Law. That was Lavender Gooms. And that was DJ Mark. Thank you all so much for watching. And just remember... If you go to a UFC event, especially in Mexico City, you've got to keep your fucking head on a swivel because you don't want to end up like the guy in the white shirt falling into a pile of chairs. You just don't. Peace. Yep. Mike, I've watched that guy get knocked out like 10 times. This <laughs> gets funnier and funnier. What you got to appreciate is that the guy who knocked him out mm. just seconds before had knocked out some other yeah. dude as well. We should get that guy on the card. That, they needed him in there. The altitude wasn't affecting his ass. He was putting people out left and right. Um, yeah. All right, folks. Thank you for listening. Peace. <laughs>